I couldn't help but think as I was preparing that, you know, when it comes to the topic of death, if we were to go downtown Oshawa right now, for example, and we were to go and start just surveying people and asking them, what do you think happens when you die? Uh, you would probably receive a hundred different types of answers, right? Um, I, I know, I watched a couple of, uh, of videos, and I don't know if you've ever seen those man-on-the-street interviews where people, they'll go around uh, videoing people, uh, asking them these questions, and one of the most common themes that I found when people ask that question is that they didn't really know. <laughs> like, nobody really knows. Most people kind of walk around not exactly sure what's going to happen when they die. There's all sorts of different reactions to it, but there's one opinion that everyone has about death that is common for all of us, and that is that it's certain. Like, all of us will face it at some point. You can cheat it for a time, you can run from it, but we can't hide from death. It's a reality we all face. And there's all sorts of ways that people try to deal with this unpleasant reality. Some people, uh, probably this is probably the most popular way to deal with it, is that they just don't think about it, right? So we'll distract ourselves, we'll, uh, you know, just go, hey, you know, YOLO, I'm just going to live it up, you know, going to do, you know, have as much fun as I can right now, or, uh, you know, we just choose to push those unpleasant thoughts to the back of our minds because, I mean, who wants to be a Debbie Downer and think about that, right? Nobody wants to think about that. Others uh, get defiant, you know, like, I, I don't know if you've ever met those uh, people who are like, I'm not afraid of death, bring it on, right? I'm not afraid to die. And they kind of even get a little bit angry at death. You know, it's almost like they're like, I want to pick a fight. And there's others like uh, Larry King. Anybody remember Larry King, CNN? Yeah, some of you do. Some of the younger people might not remember Larry King. But uh, Larry King is terrified of death. And there's a lot of people that are terrified of death. In fact, I was reading this article. I want to read you an excerpt from an article about Larry King, uh, who is old, very old now. Um, here's what it says. It says, Sean King, who is his seventh wife, um, told me that Larry talked so much about his demise that he started to upset their teenage sons, and she had to tell him to knock it off. Apparently, King is still trying to avoid death. Here, the article continues. It says, Larry King takes four human growth hormone pills every day, and he claims that he feels great. But in case of death, he has arranged to have his body frozen and then thawed out when researchers discover a cure for whatever killed him. It's the cryonics approach. And King told me uh, later that the people behind cryonics are all nuts, but at least if he knows he will be frozen, he will die with a shred of hope. And then this is a quote from Larry King. He said, other people have no hope. How wrong he is. That made me profoundly sad when I read that, to be honest with you, when I read that article. If the greatest hope that anyone has when it comes to death, is to be rich enough to be able to freeze your body through cryogenics, thinking that somehow that's going to pause death, then we are to be pitied greatly as a human race, if that's our greatest hope. Now, most of you are probably not like Larry King. Uh, most people choose simply not to think about death, but I would bet that for the majority of you in here, that's the approach that you usually take. But that's harder to do when death hits close to home, isn't it? Today we're looking at a passage where death hits close to home for Jesus and some of his friends. It's in John chapter 11, and it's the story of Lazarus. Um, so you can start turning there in your Bibles if you want, um, and it's also going to be on the screen behind me as we read. But before I read the text, I want to kind of tell you where we're going this morning. I'm just going to kind of give you the roadmap. 
it's going to be a pretty short message because um, I know that the, the kiddos are going to want to go and hunt Easter eggs. But here's where we're going. Uh, well, what I want to look at is I want to see the two responses to death uh, in this story. Mary and Martha's response and then the, the crowd's response to Lazarus' death. And then I want to look at Jesus' response to death to see what Easter brings. Okay, So we're going to look at what Easter brings to us today. So we're going to look at Mary and Martha's response, the crowd's response, and then Jesus' response to death. All right. So Jesus was a very close friend of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, and uh, Jesus got word that Lazarus was very ill and that he was dying, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. John 11, verse 4. Here's what it says. When Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, that's an interesting response by Jesus, isn't it? It says that he loved Lazarus. Now, if you heard that somebody you loved was dying, your first reaction probably wouldn't be, I think I'll just hang out here for a couple more days and check back later, right? No, you would, do, you would jump in your car, you'd get there as fast as you can. What do I need to do? I'm going to get there and help in any way that I can, right? And yet Jesus doesn't do that. What's going on there? Well, verse 4 kind of gives us a clue. It says that uh, Jesus apparently knows something that everybody else doesn't. He says this illness does not lead to death. Uh, the disciples and Mary and Martha and the crowds, for that matter, had seen Jesus perform many miracles up to that point. And they'd seen Jesus uh, heal a blind man. They'd seen Jesus turn uh, five loaves of bread and two fish into enough food to feed 5,000 men plus their families. They'd seen him heal a, a crippled man. They'd seen him heal lepers. But death seemed so final, right? Look at Mary and Martha's response once Jesus does finally show up. After waiting two more days, Jesus announces to his disciples that they're going to go to Bethany, where Lazarus' home is. And here's what it says in verse 11. It says, After saying these things, Jesus said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. And Jesus had spoken of his death, but the thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, the reason Thomas said that, by the way, is that Jesus had just been in Judea, and uh, the chapter before, they tried to stone him. And so the disciples were thinking, yeah, Jesus, maybe this isn't the best idea to go back. Remember how they tried to kill you last week? Right? And Jesus says, no, we're going to go. And so Thomas says, all right, we'll go and we'll die with Jesus. And so they arrive, and Martha, one of the sisters, runs out to meet Jesus. And here's the first response. This is Mary and Martha's response. It's the response that I would call positive thinking. All right, I want you to see if you see this when we read the text. I want you to see if you can see the positive thinking response. Look at verse 21 to 24. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
And Sam in verse 32, Mary says the same, same thing. It says, Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, and she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Martha's response here isn't one of accusation. So she's, she's not saying, you know, how dare you? Why didn't you show up? You know, you know, you let us down, Jesus. That's not what she's saying. It's actually one of faith. She truly believed that Jesus could have healed Lazarus. She's just having a hard time wrapping her brain around the idea that Jesus might be able to overcome death as well as sickness. Now, death is another thing, and Mary and Martha don't know how to handle it. To them, death is an enemy that even Jesus can't defeat. And so Martha kind of expresses this abstract hope uh, when Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. She says, I, I know that he's going to rise again on the resurrection at the last day. And her response reminded me so much of how many people deal with death today. I'm sure that Martha believed in the afterlife, but it didn't really comfort her, right? And what, I've seen, what I see today is that people will tell themselves all sorts of sayings and, and things like that to, to help themselves through the grief process, right? Uh, I'll give you some examples. We've gained another angel up in heaven, right? Or so-and-so is looking down on me in heaven. Or, you know, we all go to a better place. And we, we say these things to ourselves to help us feel better. But when we're pressed, I think a lot of times we don't really know why we believe those things when we say them to ourselves. If we were pressed and asked to say, well, how do you know that, you know, your friend is down, looking down on you? We really don't know how we know that. We just want to believe it. Heaven tourism books are really popular today, too. Uh, there have been people that have made lots and lots and lots of money on claiming to have died and gone to heaven and to have come back to earth. Millions of people grasp at these things because we're longing for something to hold on to in the face of death. We're trying to figure out how to deal with this problem that we all face called death. Because I think intrinsically, we know that this is not all there is. This cannot be all there is. We long for immortality. And the problem with Martha's response and all of the other responses today that I just mentioned is that they're not rooted in reality. There's no truth upon which to base these beliefs. They sound good and they make us feel better, but when they're cross-examined on the witness stand, they crumble. We need more than something that makes us feel good. We need truth. We need hope. We need somebody who can defeat death. Let's look at the second response of the crowds in verse 33 and 37. Here's what it says. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see and Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So when Jesus wept, some responded, see how much he loved him? They saw that as a sign that Jesus clearly loved Lazarus. But immediately there were some doubters in the crowd, right? They began to go, well, if Jesus really loved him, I mean, 
couldn't he have come and actually healed him? I mean, if Jesus actually loved Lazarus, he would have done something to stop this. He would not have let Lazarus die. I've sat with many people who have asked questions like that, or who said things like that. When tragedy strikes, culture looks for somebody to blame, I've noticed. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, the big controversy over the Parkland, Florida shooting happened, right? And that's been all over the news. And one of the things I've noticed is that everybody's looking for somebody to blame. So lots of people are blaming the gun manufacturers. A lot of people are blame, blaming the FBI. A lot of people are blaming the police officers. A lot of people are blaming violent video games. There's blame being cast everywhere because there's a longing to make sense of it all. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I've talked to countless people who tell me that they don't believe in God because they lost a loved one or they experienced a tragedy that he didn't prevent. Maybe when they prayed and they asked him to. The bottom line is we don't really know how to deal with death and we'll grasp at whatever we can to make sense of it. But there's a reason that we recoil at the thought of death. There's a reason that there's this revulsion inside of us in the face of it. And here's what that reason is. God did not design you to die. Did you know that? God did not design you to die. That is not a part of God's original intention and plan for creation. You were made to be immortal. But we all have this death problem because we all have a sin problem. And the wages of sin is death. See, God made people for one reason, and that's to worship him. He made you and me to worship him, to enjoy him, to glorify him with our lives. But the reality is, is that 99% of the people in the world spend 99% of their time doing anything but that. Right? We spend all of our time worshiping other things that God has made. We spend our time, we spend our money, we spend our attention, our desires are centered upon other things besides God, even though we were made for that one thing. Instead, what we've done is we've broken God's commands and we've given ourselves over to evil. And the reality is that every one of us will stand before God on judgment day and give an account for those sins. And the verdict is, on every single one of us is in. The verdict is guilty. We're all sinners. That's why that death problem exists for every single one of us. Now let's be honest. Not very many people want to admit this. We don't like thinking about it. We don't like talking about it. I know many of you might be recoiling as I say these things and there might be something inside of you that's getting a little bit defensive. I'm not that bad of a person. You don't know me. I haven't ever robbed somebody. I've never murdered somebody. I've never done anything like that guy in Florida did. I mean, I could see why somebody like him would deserve hell and death, but I don't really think what I've done deserves those things. You might even think that you're a pretty good person. But here's the problem when we begin to think that we're a pretty good person compared to our neighbors. Good people don't go to heaven. Holy people go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Holy people go to heaven. The book of Hebrews says that we should strive for holiness, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Here's the reason that we must be holy to go to heaven. Because God is holy. 
God is holy and perfect and righteous and pure, okay? He can't allow sinners into his sight. The book of Habakkuk says that he cannot even look upon sin. Let me give you an illustration. Say that we had an Olympic-sized swimming pool, all right? And it was this nice swimming pool with nice, clear water, and you love to go for a swim in the swimming pool, and then I just took one molecule, one molecule of the Ebola virus, and I put it in that Olympic-sized swimming pool. Are you going to jump in? Anybody want to go for a swim? Nobody? I didn't think so. Me neither. Why? Because it's not holy anymore. It's not pure. Just one little drop stains the entire pool. It's the same with God in heaven. He cannot let one sin with one sinner into his sight. We must be holy. So at this point, we need some good news. Because not one of us in here can say that we're holy, can we? And not one of us in here can make ourselves holy. So we are in need of a Savior. And the good news is, is that there is good news. There's tremendously good news. The good news is that God loves his enemies. The good news is that God loves the very people who have disobeyed his commands. He died for you. Look how Jesus responds to death in this story. Look at verse 25 and 26 of John 11. It says, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, what Easter brings is Easter brings peace between you and God. That's the most important thing that Easter brings. It brings peace between you and God. And while Martha expresses an abstract hope that one day maybe death will be overcome, Jesus gives Martha something so much better right here in this passage. What he basically gives her is he, he's saying something better is already here, Martha. He's standing right in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life. Look at John 10, 14 to 18. This kind of sums up what Jesus did for us. Just one chapter before. Listen to what Jesus says about how he's going to take care of the sin problem. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay my life down, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. See, Jesus left heaven to come to die on a cross for sinners like you and me. The wages for sin is death, so Jesus came to pay those wages on our behalf. And here's the amazing thing. While Jesus was on that cross, with pain shooting through his body, with the mockers mocking him, people spitting on him, saying, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you come on down from the cross? Why don't you call on angels to come and bring you down? You're a loser. You're a fraud. You're not the Son of God. The Son of God took it on the cross and he refused to come down for one reason, because he loves you. 
Because if he would have taken himself down off of that cross, it would have damned you and me. And so he stayed there and he endured every ounce of pain and every insult so that you could receive life. Just think about that, guys. God, who made the moon and the stars and and the heavens and everything that we can see around us, this, this galaxy that is so big that we can't even comprehend, he thought of you by name when he went to the cross. That is the love of God. He died on that cross, and by his own power, he was raised from the dead. So Jesus does not just have the power to give life or raise the dead. He is life. He is the resurrection. Jesus is more than a pithy saying that helps you feel better at a funeral. Do you see that? He's more than just, just, the gospel is more than just something that helps us feel better at a funeral. Friends, you don't need something to make you feel better. You need a savior. Jesus is the actual savior that has actually defeated death. He actually appeared to hundreds of people after his resurrection who testified, who actually went to the death testifying that he was alive. And they were murdered because they refused to recant it. They insisted, no, he's alive, we've seen him. Hope is not just an idea. Hope is a person rooted in history. A lot of people say, well, if God really loved us, then why doesn't he do something about all of the suffering and death all around us? Friends, I would just beg you to consider what more could he do? Just think about everything that I just told you. What more could he do about death? He literally came and left heaven, God himself, and endured it on our behalf so that we could live forever. So my answer to that question is, he's already done something about death. He's already done something about our greatest enemy. Let's look at the completion of this story as we draw to a close. Verse 38 to 44, it says it. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. But Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The ESV Study Bible comments on this passage. It says, The voice of the omnipotent Creator speaks, and even Lazarus' dead body obeys. D.A. Carson said about this passage, he said, It is often remarked that the authority of Jesus is so great that had he not specified Lazarus, all the tombs would have given up their dead to resurrection life. Guys, we don't have to ignore death. 
or get angry at it or fear it. Jesus has overcome it. But here's the deal. You must turn to Jesus to receive this life. You must place your faith in him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. There is no resurrection and life apart from him. Death is the end apart from Jesus. You must be born again. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches that we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins, spiritually, right? It says that we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But although we are dead in our sins, Ephesians 2 goes on to say that God can make you alive in Christ Jesus. God can make you alive in Christ Jesus. So the Bible talks about how we need to be born again. That spiritually, if we want to be raised physically, if we want our bodies to raise at the return of Jesus, then spiritually we need to be raised right now. We need to be raised right here. And you see, just as Jesus raised Lazarus by the sound of his voice in John 11, he can awaken you right here and right now. In John 5.25, a few chapters earlier, Jesus said, Truly, truly, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The hour is now. The hour is here. Do you hear the voice of the Son of God this morning? Do you hear the voice of the Son of God? In John 11, Jesus cried, Lazarus, come out. Today, Jesus cries, sinner, come out. Leave your sin and receive God's free gift of eternal life. I want to say one thing before we close. Jesus brings peace between you and God, and that happens by responding to that offer of eternal life that I just talked about. If you hear the voice of the Son of God calling you this morning to place your faith and trust in Him, you can do that right now. But I know also, I want to say a word to those of you who are grieving right now. Easter brings hope to grieving people. Easter brings hope to grieving people. I've thought a lot about this recently because some friends of our family lost their six-year-old boy uh, suddenly to a, a virus that uh, took his life within 24 hours. Uh, they didn't see it coming, uh, and little Thomas was taken uh, far too soon. And these, this family loves and follows Jesus, uh, but they're heartbroken. They're heartbroken. A couple in our church who lost their son a year ago has been walking through that grief for a year now. And that's what makes verses 5 and 6 in this chapter 11 so striking to me. Let me read it to you again. It says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer where he was. Oftentimes, God loves us in ways that are difficult to understand. Very difficult. We want Jesus to leave as fast as he can to heal our Lazarus. We often don't understand what he's doing. Jesus loved Mary and Martha. He, what he wanted to do was he wanted to give them a revelation of himself that he could not have given them if Lazarus had not died. Do you see that? Jesus had to give them a revelation of himself that he couldn't have given them had Lazarus not died. 
Oftentimes, the gentle love of Jesus, like the hands of a caring surgeon, makes painful cuts in our lives that we don't understand. My dog, uh, I love my dog, and he's a stupid dog sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he ate chocolate again for the second time. And so we had to give him some medicine to basically save his life, and he did not like it. And I had to hold him down, and I had to pry his mouth open, and I had to scrub this stuff in with a syringe, right? And, and he hated it. And I remember he was looking at me with these eyes like, Dad, why are you hurting me? Why are you doing this to me? You're torturing me. He didn't understand that I'm keeping him alive. In those moments, we need to remember the statement, now Jesus loved Lazarus. And he let Lazarus die. Even if Jesus allows us to pass through, pass through death itself, we never have to doubt his love because he demonstrated it on the cross. He gave his life for you and me. Now you might be thinking, Jared, what about me though? Jesus didn't raise my Lazarus. Lazarus had a happy ending. Mary and Martha had a happy ending. Jesus brought Lazarus back. What about me? Well, first of all, let me encourage you that just because you can't see it now doesn't mean that it isn't there. Just because you can't see the blessing that's coming through it right now doesn't mean it's not there. Jesus' number one priority is to strengthen your faith and your dependence on him. Don't ever forget that. Why? Because it's by faith that we're saved. Because ultimately, he wants you to have resurrection life, eternal life. Jesus is not interested so much in preserving your life here. He wants to give you new, resurrected life in glory forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And I don't know about you guys, but I'd much rather have that myself. Right? But secondly, even more importantly is this. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead before Lazarus even died. We know that from verse 4. And he was so certain about it that in verse 11 he said, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Like, raising the dead is so easy for Jesus that it's like waking somebody up from a nap. That's how easy it is for Jesus. And yet, in verse 35, Jesus wept. Right? Even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus, he wept. That shows us the compassion of God. He grieves with us. It does not show a lack of faith to grieve a loved one who has passed away. In fact, it shows the heart of God. Grieving for a Christian relative who has passed away doesn't show a lack of faith. So Jesus said the sickness doesn't lead to death, but of course we know that in a way it did, right? Lazarus died. And there was a real grief for a short time, but he didn't stay dead. And in the same way, listen, I hope you're getting where I'm going with this. In the same way as Christians, our old age or our illness or our tragic accident will not lead to death. We may pass through death, but because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that means whoever believes in me, though he dies like Lazarus, yet shall he live. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I don't know what you're facing this morning. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe uh, you or a loved one is sick, is very sick. Maybe you're, you struggle with fearing death. But Easter means that you don't have to be afraid anymore. Easter means that you don't have to be hopeless anymore. 
This is the hope that Easter brings to grieving and fearful people. I'm going to ask the band to, uh, to come up, the worship band, and uh, we're going to get ready to close uh, our time out. Um, before we do that, I, mean, I just want to say there's a wide variety of people here today. I mean, some of you I just met. I don't really know your background. I don't know where you come from or what's going on in your life. Some of you are believers. Some of you are not. But you have some choices this morning if you're not sure where you stand with God. You can get angry at death and you can shake your fist at it. But no matter how angry you get, you can't defeat it. You can ignore it and you can tell yourself that it's not coming for you anytime soon and base your hope on some unfounded phrases or you can believe the truth. You can place your faith in an actual risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who has overcome the grave. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this Sunday morning. We thank you for the life of your son, Jesus, that was given for us so that we could receive eternal life. We thank you for the resurrection. We praise you and we acknowledge you, Jesus, that you are at the right hand of the Father. And we say, come quickly. I pray for anybody in here this morning who maybe they're not sure where they stand with you or if they're right with you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would place their faith and trust in you right now. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.